0: you is more than enough for all of me for every thirst and every need you satisfy me with your love and all I have in you is more than enough are my supply my breath of life still more awesome than I know you are my reward worth living for still more awesome than I know and all of you is more than enough for all of me for every thirst and every need you satisfy me with your love and all I have in you is more than You is more than enough for all of me, for every and every need.
1: This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. I hope you've had a marvelous day and that now you're prepared to join me in worship. My prayer is always that you will be blessed by the word and the music. So, welcome to Hal Brady Ministries. I want to begin by reading a scripture passage from the book of Genesis, chapter 13, beginning at verse 14. Hear the word, please. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Raise your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Rise up, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me please for a word of prayer? O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We often sing, Great is thy faithfulness, and rightly so. But tonight I'd like for us to think, Great is our faithfulness, and make it so. Abram and Lot, their families, herds and herdsmen, are moving through Canaan. They are always looking for fresh pastures for their flocks. But suddenly a quarrel erupts between the herdsmen. In order to head this off, Abram comes up with a solution. He says to Lot, we need to separate, but I'll give you the first choice of the lands. Of course, Lot agrees, especially with that first choice of the lands. So he selects the first lands that he sees. They are green and they are well watered. It's the Jordan Valley near Sodom. Now, this was a wonderful decision to grow sheep, but a not-so-good decision to grow character because we're told that the people of Sodom were great sinners and very wicked. And so that speaks for itself. Now, our concern tonight, however, is not with Lot. We're concerned with Abram, and we're concerned with his lands. Shortly after Abram and Lot separated, God spoke again to Abram, and this is what he said. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give to you and your descendants forever. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So the Lord entrusted Abram with vast responsibility, vast responsibility. Now, in reading this, we may assume, falsely, that bigness is greatness, not so. Greatness is never a matter of size. If you remember those huge reptiles that roamed the earth the dinosaurs, they were enormous, and yet except for the movies, they are totally extinct. Their size and strength mattered not. They could not adapt to a changing world. And then I want you to consider some of the great empires that you've read about in history that have come and gone, regardless of their size. You remember the kingdom of Assyria, and then there was Babylonia, and then what about the kingdom of Alexander the Great? The Roman Empire, Nazi Empire, Communist Empire, and on and on it goes. Greatness is not a matter of size. So the Lord entrusted vast lands to Abram, but he also entrusted vast lands to the responsibility of Americans. I repeat, greatness is never a matter Of size, Now, if greatness is not a matter of size, of what does greatness consist? What I want us to do for a few minutes tonight is think about more specifically, what are the characteristics of a nation's greatness? And I'd like for us to think about that for a few minutes. The first characteristic of a nation's greatness is its sense of spiritual destiny. Its sense of spiritual destiny. After Lord spoke to Abram about his land, Abram built an altar to God. Now whatever else that means, that means that Abram was aware and had a sense of spiritual destiny. Now the Jewish people have always had a sense of their spiritual destiny. And I think we can understand this better if we see Jacob at Bethel. You remember after God spoke to him in a dream, he responded this way. He said, this is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is the way the Hebrews have always understood their heritage and their history and their circumstances. We hear it and it in Abraham and Sarah. We see it in Isaac and Rebekah. We see it in Jacob and Rachel. And we see it in Esther. We see it in Joseph and Moses and the prophets and Joshua. And on and on it goes. Do you know the reason the Bible is different from any other book of ancient history. It's because through that book, we see the people there, their story told in the overtone of divine reality. In other words, the Hebrew people knew they were God's children and that God had a special purpose and destiny for them. And if I'm not mistaken, I think I've read that somewhere in our own early American history. I want you to hear these words. Hear them again. I'm sure you've heard them. These words, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. These words were read by the Reverend John Robinson to the pilgrims shortly before they embarked to seek a home in the new world. They came to this world not only so they could worship God as they pleased, but that they would bless a movement that would benefit all humankind. That was these pilgrims of ours. They wanted to bless all humankind, and it was this destiny, this sense of divine destiny, that enabled them to handle all the hardships of those early years. There was a young physician named Benjamin Rush. He signed the Declaration of Independence. When he was first elected to the Continental Congress, his friend, Benjamin Franklin, said this to him, We need you. We have a great task before us, assigned to us by providence, by providence. And then there is Abraham Lincoln. Listen to Lincoln in his emotional parting at the Springfield Railroad Station on February the 11th, 1861. Lincoln said, I now leave, not knowing when or whether ever I may return, with a task before me greater than that which rested upon Washington. Without the assistance of that divine being who ever attended him, I cannot succeed. With that assistance, I cannot fail. Abraham Lincoln called the American people no less than nine times to repentance and prayer. But one of the tragedies of the 21st century is we are beginning to lose our spiritual heritage, our sense of spiritual destiny. We are not able to get across our faith heritage to our young people. In other words, we have not been able to connect the early times of America with its biblical heritage. And I think we've seen that in the annex of Jay Leno. Jay Leno, in his impersonation of the man on the streets, who interviews people, he interviewed some college students, and he asked one of them, can you name one of the Ten Commandments? Oh, yes, freedom of speech, said the one. Then he asked another, he said, complete this sentence, let he who is without sin, and the girl replied, have a good time. And then he said, the Bible tells us that someone was swallowed by a whale this young college student said, I know, I know, it was Pinocchio. Now all of this is laughable. It is laughable. And yet it seriously shows a deep hole in the understanding of young people and other people about the faith heritage of this nation. Not long ago I was having a meal with two friends. I admire and respect them both. We were talking about other things. But both times the conversation came back to America. And one i them said, I am so deeply concerned about the direction of America and the way we are moving away from God. I'm also concerned about that. That is my concern. So I want you to listen. The first characteristic, the first characteristic of a nation's greatness is its sense of spiritual destiny. The second characteristic of a nation's greatness is its unity in diversity. Its unity in diversity. My friend Jim Moore talks about an amazing night It was Wednesday night, June 22, 1994. This was the night that the Houston Rockets basketball team beat the New York Knicks for the NBA championship, the national championship. He said, what a great night for the Houston Rockets and their fans. What a great night for Houston and the state of Texas. What a great night for me because I had the opportunity of being there. He said it was a thrill to see the Houston Rockets bring back the first world championship to the city of Houston. It was a thrill to hear the most valuable player talk about not individual acclamations, but to talk about the teamwork, how important teamwork was. But according to Jim Moore, he said, the thing that thrilled me the most was how this event brought the nation, the city of Houston together. It brought the city of Houston together. It united the people. It bonded them. They were connected. He said, old divisions and walls were no more. He said, class didn't make any difference. Color didn't make any difference. Culture didn't make any difference. He said, in the Houston Rockets, we were all one. We were all Rocket fans. And then he said he got to thinking, why can't this be true all the time? He said he so much wanted it to be true for his church, his city, his nation, and his world, and so do I. Beloved, America at its best is precisely this. Consider the ideal one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. America at its best is united, it's connected, it's bonded. And we can be sure when we see that, God is pleased because God dreamed that and wants that for our world. A prime example of that would be Pentecost. You remember the people who gathered at Pentecost, the birthday of the church? Those people were different. They were different in nationality. They were different in language. They were different in culture. They were different in custom. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, they were brought together in a new unity. Now, that's one thing. But what about the unity of our diverse nation here in America? What is God gonna use to bring our nation together? Well, he might use many things, but I think he's gonna use these things. First of all, a common adversity. A common adversity will bring us together. You remember the event of 9-11. For sure, that event brought this nation together. The attacks on New York and Washington, including Pennsylvania, they made us into a new oneness. We sought to help one another, to minister to one another, and we sought to stand together against terrorism. Have you ever seen old war veterans get together? I'm talking about people who fought in a war who hadn't seen each other for years. The first thing they do is hug each other, and then they tease each other. And sometimes they call each other by an old nickname. Then they talk about war stories. You see, these veterans, they have a common adversity that brings about a kinship and a relationship between them. So consequently, it's like a glad reunion. That common adversity brought them together. And then a common commitment will bring us together. A minister said in the church he served they were trying to find another associate minister to deal with a particular situation. On the first go they found this man they really liked. He was capable in every way, bright, very a conversationalist. He had three degrees, he was perfect. Until he said this. He said, Now through conversation in my resume, you know what I do well. But now let me tell you what I don't do. I don't do Saturday meetings. I don't do committee meetings. I don't do night meetings. I don't do janitorial duties. I don't do weddings and funerals. Well, you know, he didn't get the job. No way. Because in the church, what we're calling for is service and sacrifice. An unconditional commitment to the kingdom of God. Now, in terms of America, it's going to take all of us committing ourselves to the American dream. This dream of freedom and justice. And this freedom... Of opportunity for everybody. We're going to have to commit ourselves to that if this nation is going to come together. And then there's one other thing. This nation will come together through a common love. I'm talking about a common love of God, the Heavenly Father who created all of us. I want you to listen to this. It was said by Desmond Tutu, the Archbishop of Africa. He says that the accidents of birth and geography Determine to a very large extent to what faith we belong. The chances are very great that if you were born in Pakistan, you would be a Muslim. If you were born in India, you would be a Hindu. If you were born in Japan, you would be a Shintoist. If you were born in Italy or America, you would be a Christian. Tutu continues, surely it's good to know that God created us all in his image, thus investing us all with infinite worth. And that it was with all humankind that God entered into a covenant relationship depicted in the covenant with Noah in which God promised not to destroy this earth again by water. Now my single point in saying this is this God created all of us in his divine image and invested in us eternal worth. This God loves the whole world. Consequently, he wants us to love him and one another. And that should get us beyond even our religious differences. So what I'm saying is we're going to have to love God if we're going to be together. And then the third characteristic that I want to mention of a nation's greatness is this. It's the quality of our heroes and heroines. Here I'm talking about the character of the people we emulate and lift up and admire. What kind of people are they really? Not long ago there was a major newspaper that had an editorial and it simply said this, America has a glut of celebrities and a dearth of heroes. Who of us can deny that today? You see what happens, we read about our athletes, they're being arrested or their own steroids. Then we read about some of the people in Hollywood, these people are hooked on drugs. Many of these people don't have any morals. They don't have any decency about their relationships. And then we read about scandals in this country, political scandals, business scandals, school scandals, church scandals. We read about all kinds of scandals. What this article is calling us to do in America is calling us to re examine our heroes and heroines. Who are these people? It's calling us to determine that these people are people with uncompromising integrity and an humble compassion for everybody else. You know the great heroes and heroines of the old testament. These people were not the warriors, they were not the politicians, they were not the sex symbols. The great heroes and heroines of the Old Testament were people who had many conquests in terms of the soul. And again, I'm talking about these characters like David and Samuel and Moses and Ruth and Joshua. And it goes on and on and on. I think we need to remember that the heroes and heroines today are those who have uncompromising integrity and who have compassion toward other people. I was looking in Reader's Digest in this month's issue under the section of heroes and there is an article called Icy Plunge. This was about a father and his three children who are in a car who went down a road they slipped off into an icy river And the car was underwater and all of them were in danger of their lives when suddenly 10 men, 10 men who happened to come along, 10 men of integrity and who had compassion for others, they stopped and saved this family. They saved them. So let us remember that the quality of our heroes and heroines must be uncompromising integrity and compassion for others. And then the fourth characteristic of a nation's greatness is a renewed commitment to this nation being under God. A renewed commitment to this nation being under God. How important it is for us to realize what the writer of Proverbs said, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That's true and that's a fact. Here's a baseball game. It's 6 to nothing in favor of one team. Before it's over, the other team catches up and scores six runs. Well, what's the first team going to do? What's going to happen now? Are they just going to moan and roll over and quit? No, they're going to redouble their efforts. They're going to fight harder than ever to try to win that game. They're going to redouble their efforts in every way. Well, if the principalities and powers of this world are beginning to overtake America... And it certainly seems that they are. It's not a time for us to moan. It's a time for us to marshal all the resources of God's kingdom and to renew our efforts to be people under God. How is this going to be done? I just wrote down five things here that I want to share with you. How is this nation going to renew itself under God? First of all, listen to this. We repent of our carelessness. We pay special attention to the marginal, the stranger, the less fortunate. While we hold our particular and peculiar beliefs tenaciously, we must be respectful and prepared to learn from others, realizing we don't have a corner on God. We must accept responsibility for our nation's welfare and rise above partisan politics. And we must reconnect with goodness. There was a family who visited New York City they went to a lot of the tourist attractions and that evening they asked the little girl what was her favorite and like so many others her reply was the Statue of Liberty and they said well what are you thinking about her and she said I just keep thinking about that lady that's holding the lamp and then the little girl said to her family don't you think we ought to help her ladies and gentlemen she's asked a major question of those of us who love this country and love God don't you think We ought to help her. Let us pray. Lord, we're grateful again for this day and for all the blessings of this life. We're thankful for this country. We ask, O God, that you'd guide us as we seek to make this country everything you want it to be. Make it your country, your people, devoted to you first and foremost and full of compassion toward everybody else all around the world. We give you praise and glory. Amen. You know, I've been asked, what is the purpose of Hal Brady Ministries? I'd simply like to say the purpose of Hal Brady Ministries is to lift up the gospel of Jesus Christ by being biblical, vital, and relevant. There's another purpose for Hal Brady Ministries, and that is to encourage people and remind them that there is still God. No matter what else is going on, there is still God. If you would like to be a partner in this ministry, either by prayer or financial resources, it would be much appreciated. Thank you very much. I hope you have a pleasant evening. Good night.
2: No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so calm. See.